Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well right now. Hello, everyone. Let's spin them webs. Me, me second. Well, we, we spoiled it, didn't you? Because you already announced Matthew's departure to the uh, to the Tory uh, Tory field that he's camping in. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, 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 camping he's, plus. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the most nonsense sign you've ever seen in your life, eh? But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Camping Plus. I mean, it's like Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, now Camping Plus. And the toilet facilities there look better than my house, which is not fair. So it, It's ridiculous, yeah. It, that's not festival going if you're having a shit in peace. It's just not appropriate. <laughs> and I know it was the first day as well when he sent that picture, so it might be different on Sunday, but it was glistening clean as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's not appropriate at all. Um, but worry not, we do have a third joining us this week. Is the man with all the daft questions, Mr. David Evans? I'm back, baby. I'm here. Thank you, <laughs> Dave. Have you been keeping? Have you seen anything good at the cinema recently? Uh, I've seen one very good film at the cinema recently, which we might talk about later on. <laughs> uh, but I think after before that, it's a it's a proper Marvel train. I think I saw Guardians three before that, which again. Very good. We're on a good string of superhero films at the minute, and I hope I hope that continues. Yeah, long may it continue. I'm kind of excited for Flash. It mm. could go one of two ways. Like early early reviews have been very one extreme to the other. So mm. I'm hoping it's going to be more the good than the bad. But who knows? So yeah, I'm but the... gone to do. No, I was going to say you said, we said this about Mario, and look what happened there. Mm, yeah, very true. I've got. I'm going in with an, an open mind and an open heart because it's Batman. So like, it, it can't be bad. I'll I'll be devastated <laughs> if it is. <laughs> uh, but as Dave pointed out, we are here to discuss something special. Um, in the second half of the podcast, we're going to talk about the new Spider Verse movie. But I thought for the first half, we could do something a little bit different to what we normally do. Um, We're going to discuss the Sam Raimi trilogy of films that was released in the early 2000s. Um, But before we get into the comic book movies, let's just talk about comic book characters in general. Dave, where does Spider-Man sit on the pantheon of comic book characters for yourself? Man, that's a tough one. I think he's up there, isn't he, really? I think... Because growing up, he's a character that you see, especially through animation. Mm-hmm. I think he's someone that's probably going to definitely be up there. And I think maybe is that because it's such an easy comic book character to understand? You know, kid, man, has spider powers, shoots webs, done. Mm. You know, I think it, that's what's quite easy to understand. So yeah, I think it's up there, definitely. I, th- I think if you were to say to anyone... Give me just name me three superheroes. I tell you, nine times out of ten, people would probably put Spider Man in there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Stu, your similar age to myself, you've got to have had your first experience of Spider Man with the animated series. I'm imagining. No. Oh, okay. My, my first. I, I looked it up just before we started, just to make sure I hadn't dreamt it. And there was a made-for-TV movie from the seventies. Yes, live, that. Yeah. A live action, which is, I saw that first, and I must have only been about four or five, because I, I remember it being amazing, and then, <laughs> pardon the pun, um, but obviously it's not, <laughs> looking at the trailer, just it's very it's much not, yeah. um, <laughs> but the whole walking up walls thing from that film was the first time I, I, I saw anything like that before the 
the cartoons and then the comics later on. Um, mainly because I remember watching it at my when I was at my nan and granddad's. Obviously, during the six weeks holiday, or probably so, something like that. Um, so I would have been, yeah, I would have been a bit four, five, six, something like that, early primary school, and it was one of them things where cause she, <laughs> she didn't really like anything like that, anything stupid that um, <laughs> was on the telly even back then. So I remember watching that as a treat because she wasn't there that day and it was just Grandad was in charge. You know, I'll just watch this, it's fine. And then obviously the the series came, the cartoon series came later. Um, but yeah, I agree with Dave. You, it's, it is top three, it's Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. That's, that's just how it is. Yeah, completely agree. I think I remember hearing Stanley say about the the best thing about Spider Man is that you can be Spider Man. Like that mask, you know, no matter what colour skin you have, no matter male, female, whatever, you could sort of be Spider Man and nobody would know about it. And I think that makes a big thing, especially to a young uh, young mind, where you can see yourself in a character and he's someone who is you know, going through adolescence. So I think that that's a big reason why a lot of people have always identified with Spider-Man. And I think that's why a lot of people are a bit apprehensive about the Marvel Cinematic Universe in, in general, because Spider-Man at the time was never going to be part of it because obviously they didn't have the rights to it. Because he really is the man for me when it comes to anything Marvel related. He's their number one hero. Uh, but so the history books of comic book movies... Everything always stated that Batman and Robin pretty much killed superhero movies <laughs> for a generation. It wasn't quite true, though. Um, so it just changed the marketing for me when you look at it. So we had Batman and Robin, which I think was 97. Uh, by 98, we'd had Blade. Now, all the, as I say, all the record books make it sound like there was absolutely nothing comic book related for years. But it was only 12 months before we had Blade which is one of the better Marvel films, especially from that period. For like early Marvel, they did struggle somewhat. Um, I think what they did, though, is they shied away from Marketing Blade as a Marvel character. Like Snipes was very different to his comic book counterpart in, in reality. Like If you read an original Blade book compared to what we got on screen, they were massively different. So I think that is what Batman and Robin did, was they tried to hide the comic book of it all as we moved forward uh dave blade thoughts wow i haven't seen blade for years i think i think you're right though in terms of i think it was made and it was made to be more of a adult film as it were rather than a superhero film i don't think if you watched it for the first time i don't think superhero would have come into your brain and when mm -hmm. everyone thinks superhero they do think kind of out of the out of the ordinary Fantastical powers, colourful, bright. I don't think Blade ticks any of those boxes. Really. <laughs> it just, it just very much felt like a just you know, it's just basically a vigilante going at a vampires. It kind of, it was kind of in the same world of was it Spawn mm. that film? Yeah, not not as yeah. CGI heavy as that was when you look back at it now, but it was in that kind of more darker era. So I think if you're trying to compare the two, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by 1999, we had the Mystery Men, which is like a misfit version of Avengers. Stu, did you ever see Mystery Men? I've never even heard of it, let alone seen really? it. Yeah. I saw it at the cinema. It's fun. It was a fun so movie. So good. So good. 
Is this yeah. so good in like a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen kind of good? No. Or... <laughs> no, no, it's it's good in like a camp silly way. Like it does kind of send up the 60s silliness of superheroes. It's I, I do think you'd like it. it. It's something else. But obviously that one, I don't think that was based on actual comic books, but it was superhero light, I suppose you'd call it, because it was a bit a bit dumber than the rest, especially in the 90s. Yeah, oh, Ben Stiller. I was going to say, it was just a bit like um, the original Guardians and Suicide Squad in some ways. Yeah. It's a real yeah. ragtag of people with absolute strange powers that somehow do all come together at the end. And it's very like if you said to me, James could have directed and written, written that film, I wouldn't have been surprised. Well, look yeah. at the people in this film. It's ridiculous, isn't it, Shu? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> Uh, by the time the millennium hit, we had Unbreakable making superheroes and comic book culture less shadowy. Uh, and then we also had the X-Men movies hit the cinema that year as well. 2001, we had From Hell, Ghost World, Josie and the Pussycats, Monkey Bone, Smallville hit the small screens. Comic book movies and TV shows were back in full swing within four years of Batman and Robin. Uh, then by 2002, we had Blade 2, Men in Black 2, and Road to Perdition. Um, these films still had an element of uncool about them back then, though, to be perfectly honest. They were still a little bit nerdy when you look at these kind of films. But then we got Spider-Man, and this felt like it was the first big-named comic book character we'd had since 97's Batman and Robin. Like, there was a lot of pressure on that first Batman, uh, that first Spider-Man film to succeed, I think. So asking you to cast your mind back to the, the early days of the 2000s, do you remember the hype around that film, Stu? Massively, especially the trailer with the Twin Towers in it. And I remember how cool that was. And amazingly, it's still around. You can go and find it still on YouTube. It hasn't been dismissed from history, which you kind of might... You thought, well, if anything's got a point of, yeah, okay, it's in a slightly bad taste, even though it was... It must have only been like three or four months beforehand because it it, it was only one of the... It was part of the montage, wasn't it, when, he's, yeah. when he gets his powers and he catches a, a helicopter in a web between the two. So... I, I presume it's, it's now a big thing to take it out and obviously digitally remove them all together. But, yeah, I remember that first trailer, thinking how amazing it, it again. Um, it lo- it just looked like nothing we'd seen before. And like you say about <laughs> the dodgy CG, Dave, I mean, you, you look at the first Blade when he turns into the, the blob thing at the end, that looks piss poor now. <laughs> uh, yeah. in, in the same way, the water effects in X-Men looks awful now as well. Spider-Man at the time, even then, looked a complete step above everything else. Uh, it was almost like a level... You're probably right there that it wasn't accepted beforehand, but everyone was talking about that film that year. It was amazing. Mm, absolutely. Dave, do you remember the, the the time before the first Spider-Man film came out? What, the, the, the bleak time before the <laughs> Yeah, so I kind of do remember the hype. I remember going to see it and it was probably the first comic book film or uh, superhero film that felt like a comic book coming to life um, it was basically what I kind of imagined Spider-Man would have looked like in real life given the power of Hollywood would look like and I was quite obviously like everybody else I was quite amazed but I think your the question you put in the the chat about that the audience didn't 
take to it as much, but the critics did. That quite surprised me at the time. I didn't know that if that was a that was a thing. There might be some reasons for that, but yeah, I, I remember it. I remember it felt like an event when it came out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so originally, so the original film, the first one, critically, it got ninety percent um, positive reviews according to Rotten Tomatoes. Whereas the audience score was sixty-seven percent, which is is positive, but it's not it's not Spider-Man positive. Like I feel like that it's kind of been undersold almost. I understand, like from a critical point of view, we hadn't had a film like Spider, like that version of Spider-Man, for some time. Even the fairly recent X-Men movie, they were all wearing black leather, and it was all a bit darker, and it wasn't. It wasn't bright and four colours of comic books. Like it didn't have that that like grabby by the bollocks feel that Spider Man did for me personally. So I understand why the critics loved it, but why was there that disconnect? Do you have any, any reason why you think that it might have just been an okay film for the audiences? Dave? Uh I think I hadn't realised about what you just said then about the films previous to that were probably a bit dark, and I wonder whether the audience at that time wanted something that felt a bit more grounded and moody rather than this kind of light, bright-coloured version. And I guess if their other experience before that of a light-coloured film was Batman and Robin, people might be like, <laughs> oh, actually, maybe not. I mean, yeah. when you watch that film back now, I think, you know, I still think it stands the test of time, but there are... And again, shake me down if you don't think so. But I still think there are a couple of scenes that still have the same jokey level as Batman and Robin. I think especially that the wrestling scene, if you mm. want to step back now, that does feel very over the top and comic booky and Batman and Robin like. And I wonder whether people had watched it thinking, oh, this isn't the the dark and miserable stuff that we really want. We don't want colourful action. So maybe that was what it was at the time. Mm, yeah. Potentially. Stu, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I was. It, you know, I think when did Underworld come out? Because I'm guessing it was around about the same time mm. where people are obsessed with all that stuff. Yeah, um, it was like the twilight of its era. Why everyone loved Underworld, <laughs> um, and that kind of Matt-like gothness. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of what I got from it when I watched it before um, No Way Home where I hadn't seen it for years and years, and I went back and I thought, this is nowhere near as good as I remember it being. And I I, I kind of hated myself for it because I loved these these three films, even the third one we'll get to um, at the time. And watching it again, I thought, this is just, it's quite shit in parts. <laughs> and it is, like when he's, you got the, the goblin mask and he's got it with his finger and he's pointing at him and he's talking and he's got that stupid grin on his face. But then, thinking about it now, yeah, it's high camp. And of course it is, because it's a comic book film. So, in, in the space of, what, two years? I've gone from <laughs> my old way to hating it, and now I'm thinking about it. And I think, oh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate what this film is now. Especially after watching Spider-Verse and, and that kind of thing. Um, the first one, not the new one. And yeah, it can be just that its own silly little nonsense, and then we've got the MCU one, and you got the, the more serious Garfield ones. But yeah, I think it was there were so there was a lot of nineties hangovers in that film, a lot more than I realised at the time. Yeah, I can imagine. 
so this film was directed by Sam Raimi. At this point, he was known as the director of The Evil Dead, Dark Man, The Quick and the Dead, The Gift, a man mostly known for like schlocky horror films, but also someone who's quite willing to try something new as well. I think he was actually a really good choice to do this because he's... From what we've seen, not just before Spider-Man, but also after Spider-Man, he's a man who is willing to take risks with his films, and I really appreciate that in a director. Uh, Sam Raimi cast the perennial extra and TV actor Tobey Maguire as his Peter Parker. Uh, Raimi said that he wanted Maguire following his performance in the Cider House Rules, a film I haven't seen for many years to the point that I don't even remember what Tobey Maguire did in that film. I think it's been too long. The other names in this film is a relatively unknown at the time, James Franco, a young veteran in Kirsten Dunst, and probably the most famous of the lot, Willem Dafoe, as Parker's nemesis, the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn. Uh, we'll come to the main trio a little bit later. Stu, is Willem Dafoe as like the linchpin of this film? He's the one with the name recognition. Is that the right way to go, to give the big bad the big name? rather than casting your Spider-Man as someone super famous. Yeah. Well, they used to, they did this with Bond films for years, don't they? So, I mean, going back to the, you look at the who was who was the big bad at the time of the films coming out, a lot of the Bond films had the villain more well-known than the actor playing Bond, at this, especially, we don't talk about Lazenby. Um, but, yeah, because <laughs> I think it, it worked perfectly because... It's relatively unknown. You don't want... Who else would you put in that time? I don't know. Can Timberlake. DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah. DiCaprio yeah. would be the choice, yeah. Yeah, someone like that, a Spider-Man. Well, you just look at it and think, well, you're DiCaprio, then, ain't you? You're not... <laughs> it's too much, which is kind of why it, it's all it's worked for all three of them, down mm. the line, because they are relatively unknowns for the... For the audience that they're going for, so yeah, I mean, you've got to have some kind of star pair because you ain't going to get that budget otherwise, have you? So, and but Willem Dafoe absolutely mincing around and 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 <laughs> stealing everything, like I said, with the put the the pointing scene, yeah, it, it worked perfectly. Yeah, I thought he was he was fantastic in this movie, and I mean, like we've got previous with Willem Dafoe with um, you know, Wild at Heart, and he did sort of channel that that craziness when he went through his heel turn into becoming the Green Goblin. So I think he was the right choice. Dave, are you a fan of Willem Dafoe in general? And what did you think of him in this film? Yeah, I would say so in general. I think I, I quite like him any kind of film that I see him in. I think Stu's completely right there in terms of the the casting of the, the hero. I think if they'd gone for a DiCaprio, it would have probably took away from the fact that he, he was spite like it, he would have been bigger than Spider Man if that made sense. Mm. Maybe why yeah. in if you look at it, if if why DiCaprio not being Anakin Skywalker was probably also a good choice. I know mm. people could argue the choice that was made anyway, but <laughs> if, if DiCaprio was it, would it detracted away from would it be DiCaprio in Star Wars anyway? Um, I thought it was great. I don't know whether he's better in this or better in No Way Home because I think his performance in No Way Home is. Absolutely fantastic. He probably steals the show in No Way Home for different reasons, and I don't know whether he's which one he's the best in because I think they're just as good for different reasons. But mm. yeah, I, I really, you know, fantastic performance in this, and 
just the, the way he can manipulate his face in some way <laughs> is what I really enjoy about his performance in this film as well. He's like an aged Jim Carrey almost, isn't he? Like <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, he's yeah. just got that those rubber features that seem to morph with his characters mm. and I, I think it is all the better for it. Uh, so Spider-Man 2 was released two years later. It was a bigger budget, much better reviews. It only got a slightly smaller box office, but it was talking like $3 million on nearly $900 million. So, like, you know, not that much. Uh, the critical score was 93%. Audience rating was 82 So very much as you would expect for this movie, because I think this is the movie of the trilogy. It's the one that still held up as like a pinnacle of, of comic book movies. Uh, this time round, we got Alfred Molina as Dr. Otto Octavius, very much taking the mentor role and tormentor, I suppose, for Peter Parker. How do you feel about the story being that of another mentor-turned-enemy, much like in the first film, Dave? Uh, I was thinking about this earlier. I was wondering whether... Is this the first... Either in quite a while, and please tell me if I'm completely wrong, is this the first, either the first one we've seen uh, in a Hollywood film of a comic book character, or in quite a while, of a bad guy that the audience can slightly empathise with? Because he is actually not evil, it's the it's mechanical octopus arms that make him evil. And at the start of the film, he's actually quite a nice man. He's got, you know, he's he's passionate about his work. He really wants to help Peter along the way, and it's only because of that, the accident and his wife dying, and then the mechanical arms turning against him that make him evil. I wonder whether that's why people also like this film because it was it was the start of. Um, villains having a bit more depth to their characters, not just, oh, I'm just evil, I'm going to blow, you know, I'm going to destroy the planet. There was some kind of background and some sympathy you had with that character Mm. by the end. Um, But yeah, I thought, you know, again, performance-wise, I thought he was great in it. And I think, like William Defoe, he's able to mix that, you know, really being a nice person to being outright evil at the same time. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Stu, what are your thoughts on um, Alfred Molina in this role? I thought he was perfect, and I didn't know. I didn't. To my knowledge, I don't think I'd ever seen him in anything before either. And I know he's a massive name and whatever, and um, but I don't think I've seen him in anything since either, other than <laughs> the obvious. Um, but yeah, he was. I don't have a. A real problem with beat for beat sequels, as long as it's done properly, um, mm-hmm. because that's what it, it might be the safe option in a way. A bit like for <laughs> Force Awakens, kind of Star Wars, a new hope kind of way. But if you do it properly and it works, then no problem with it. If you do it again for a third one, then you got a problem. But yeah, having having beat beat for beats where you. You're going to aim for it and you're going to change things, and it works. And so, I didn't really have a problem with it. And I think that they refined what they did with the first in the second, mm. and you can see that because it's. I was shocked at how well this film stands up, and I know a lot of it's down to practical effects as well as some of the, the CG doesn't, obviously, but and how it's scarily almost possible now with Neuralink yeah. and <laughs> AI and Chat GPT and all that kind of bollocks. And you, you you have got these things that move like that, and you look at the Vision Pro from Apple that came at the other, 
the reveal the other night, and you look at this stuff, and the, yeah, this is just happening. Now. We 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 might as well just give up now because we know what's going to happen, and <laughs> and it was twenty years ahead of its time, and but the Alfred Molina and the, the first ever digital <laughs> Alfred Molina mm-hmm. as well, yeah. um, which again I didn't even know about until about five years ago that he, it was a, a full CG character at points. Mm. Because it looked so, it looked so good, and he, yeah, he was he was perfect for the role. Like, again, like Will and Defoe was in the first, you you couldn't have thought it wouldn't seem right with anyone else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He brought an element of sympathy towards the character, didn't he? Which yeah. I think you you really needed to have that sympathy for him to understand his motivations throughout the movie, so that he wasn't like as you said, Dave. He wasn't doing things because he was just a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He was doing it because he needed to to achieve his aims. Like he had yeah. a human response to an extraterrestrial error or, or mm. issue within the body. So I think that Alfred Molina, in retrospect, is probably one of the perfect choices for that role because he does have, like, as a person outside of acting, he seems a very soft and cuddly, nice guy. And to see him then be the villain, I think it worked really well for him. So I, I do think he was an inspired choice because, as Stu pointed out, he wasn't all that well known at that point outside of probably some weird indie or small sitcoms in the UK. Like He wasn't, as far as I was aware, a big name actor, especially to the point of Sony's tentpole film of um, 2004. I mean, so, yeah, he- great choice. He seems to genuinely love it as well. Like whenever you see him interviewed about yeah. it, he just wants to talk about it all the time. Yeah. And it, for, for a film like this, it must have been an absolute pain in the arse at times with the all the prosthetics and the uh, the stuff hanging off him and, all, and the wire work, which a lot of people dunst, moan about. Um, <laughs> you think, well, yeah, fair play to you. You, you, love, you, you know what you like and you're constantly talking about it to the extent that no way home and he was still talking about it even then and loving it again so yeah perfect uh, as you've brought up Dunst I think maybe we should talk about the first one of the Trinity Mary Jane Watson um, Dave firstly thoughts on Kirsten Dunst in general yeah again I thought she was really good in it I think she, I think that whole sense of that arc of that character just being that girl next door to them being that early 20s not knowing what you really do with your life and struggling comes off really well and I think that's what's good about the casting of the three main ones because they age naturally in real life to the lifetime of the film as well so it's very believable that they seem to be of that age in the film as well um, but yeah I think that's what I really enjoyed about her for us is you really felt and when you watch it years later perhaps going through some of those struggles you know what it's like being in the, the big scary world and trying to fend yourself. And I think I like that fact of her character after high school just didn't find it so easy that she just kind of became a nobody and had to work her way up as well. But yeah, no, I thought she was good at it again. Mm, I, I I sort of agree and disagree a little bit mm. with you, I think. Um, I, I like the fact that, as you say, she did have this little story that was a case of her struggling to make her way in the world. My issue with Mary Jane in this film is very much that too much of her time is focused on Peter and uh, Harry and John James. Like a lot of 
too much of her story is focused on which is defined by the men around around her. Mm, she doesn't exactly. have a lot of agency, which I find to be a bit of an issue. I, I looked on Wikipedia, so I was pulling together the script for this, and it literally describes her as like Peter's love interest, like that's all she is in the first film. In the second film, she gets engaged to John Jameson to make Peter jealous. Like, that's not character motivation. I thought mm. that was quite bad. I wish they'd have done a little bit more to explore her as a character rather than just have her defined by who she is to Peter. But I do really like Kirsten, uh, Kirsten Dunst, and mm. she's a fantastic actor. But, yeah. Uh, Stu, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> kind of in the middle of both there, because she, uh, like Dave said, when you watch it back later on, she she very much was like one, like them people at school where you look at them and, and when you're there at the time, you think, yeah, you can see the ones who are going to be successful and the, the popular kids and, and the ones who everyone wants to get with and whatever. Um, but there is like, I'm obviously not going to name them, but there's two, maybe three girls that are exactly like she is in this film, these films that went from, from boy to boy. And that was their whole personality. Like, well, like one of them, like we, we were there like 15 years old and one was getting up at six in the morning to put her face on. Think, what the fuck's going on here? You <laughs> stay in bed like normal people, but no, it was to impress someone. And then you look at them later, and then they've got three, like they've got kids by different dads and all these kind of things, which is fine, whatever. But it's not as unrealistic as it seemed at the time because I know people personally like this, like her character in this, who's had everything potentially and is just a bit of a failure in the end um, and does things out of spite and is a bit of a bitch. Mm, yeah. I think I agree. Yeah. So moving on to Spider-Man 3. This came along three years later in 2007. The excitement for this one was probably the most of any of the Spider-Man films. Um, that would probably be until next year's Beyond the Spider-Verse. I think that will hit mm. new heights, to be honest. This is the first time we got a live-action version of the black-suited Spider-Man and, of course, the creature that is Venom. We also got to see Gwen Stacy, albeit a very underutilised version of Gwen. Um, the Sandman, Harry Osborn, ascended to the mantle of the Green Goblin. Reviews were not kind to Spidey 3. Critically, it got a 63% and audiences were just down the middle. It got a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. The film is a mess. Like, I don't think there's any getting away from that fact. There's just so many storylines all going on at once. It's two hours and ten minutes, and we got Harry becoming Goblin. We had Sandman's Rise and Fall. We had Peter dealing with the effects of the symbiote. We had Eddie Brock's stuff and his transformation into Venom. That's a lot of stuff to try and, like, shoehorn into a film that, if that had got three hours, I think you'd have struggled to fit all of that in. But, uh, Stu, talk to me about Venom and your thoughts on Topher Grace in this film. <laughs> um, I was... Shock horror, I didn't hate this at the time. And watching it again, like I said two years ago, I thought it was a lot better than I remembered it being. And yeah, it's a, it's a joke, and it doesn't make any sense in parts. Um, and it was in an era where films couldn't be over a certain didn't seem to be allowed to be anything over two hours, 20 minutes. Mm. Otherwise, the, unless you're Lord of the Rings. Um, but it just seemed 
rushed. It just seemed it like a lot. The whole film seemed rushed, which is mad when it's it's got so much going on, and it, it just did fall into the the Batman and Robin thing because you had what, Poison Ivy, you had Freeze, you had Bane, it, it, the whole Batgirl thing. You had Robin. Uh, it was too much, too much in one film. And the main thing that's more exciting about anything, and the emo Spider Man and all that stuff, is all better than. The Venom section, <laughs> which kind of it shouldn't be. <laughs> so it felt I don't know. Like tacked on, didn't this? Venom? Yeah, I, don't, I know yeah. we've been we've been spoiled with the Tom Hardy one, which is very good. I like them. Probably the first one better than the second, but other way around, mate. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I know I, I know I'm an outlier with that one, but yeah, it, it's just you don't know which part was tacked on which because none of them got anything. Like the Sandman stuff, yeah, he came back twenty like fifteen years later to finish it off, but that's not really good enough, not at the time. Um, and it, even that, it's a kind of throwaway thing. But yeah, <laughs> nice idea, badly utilized. He didn't really seem arsed either. Mm. I think it was a case of Sam Raimi didn't want Venom in the film. He was very much forced to put him in by Avi Arad, um, one of the producers and bigwigs in the uh, the company. So he didn't want him. And I think that's why it feels like it's quite a left turn when he loses the symbiote and it just becomes Venom. I think, ideally, they could have done that across two films. Mm. So you had black-suited Spider-Man and then the end of that film is... Eddie getting the, the symbiote, and then the next film is Venom. I think that would have worked better, but obviously that's not what they gave us. Dave, how did you feel about how they handled the symbiote and Venom and Topher Grace of it all? I think it did feel like years later when you watch, when you learn more about it, it does feel like uh, movie execs meddling, trying to force characters in. I I remember when I, I remember seeing this on opening day. I think it's one of the first films I ever saw on opening day, and I think conveniently at the first showing wherever I was as well. And I remember walking out of this thinking, "Hang on a second, that wasn't very good. What's going on?" <laughs> um, I and I think I watched it a few months ago when they all came. Most of them came on Netflix to watch, um, so I watched to rewatch them again. It is a mess of a film. It's not as bad as I think. It, I felt it was when I first saw it. I don't think the casting of the Venom actor, I forgot what was his name again, sorry, Andy. Topher Grace. Topher Grace. That's it. I don't think he, for me, it just didn't feel like the right choice. I think because I'd been so used to the animated version where Brock was a bit more beefier and therefore Mm. Venom was, this, he just felt a bit weedy and therefore the Venom felt a bit weedy. I don't know if you've seen any of the, there's been some pictures that have been revealed recently about what the Venom actually was supposed to look like when they had like a stand-in statue for scenes. Yeah. And it was a lot more big and menacing and people were like, well, why didn't we get that version? My only thing I'd say about the film is when I watched it back is I actually think that if you cut out all the superhero stuff, the storyline that goes throughout the film, which is the relationship between Peter, Mary and um, Harry, and their evolving relationship and the, the feud that Peter and Harry get into over Mary Jane is actually really good because of what you've established as the characters in the first two films. I remember watching it thinking, this is this is really good character development, this is. If you just had this as a film and had the Green Goblin not as bad mm. as they made it in the end, 
as the villain again, this would have actually been quite a very good character development type of film. But it's like you said, Andy, it was just let's throw every single monster we can because that's what the fans will want to see. Mm, yeah. Um, I think that moves us on nicely to the Harry of it all. Like it's a series which has done a really good job of establishing its characters. I think um, like they developed personas within the movies. They would layering it up like rather than it just being plot point after plot point, which I think is really good. But I do think like when we get to the third film with James Franco, to then just like stuff him in the suit give him two other villains to like overshadow him almost and then give him this undeserved face turn. I feel like they did Harry a little bit dirty in the third film because mm-hmm. they'd done so well leading up to that point. His actions in this film, they didn't feel warranted. Like, the payoff was a little bit unsatisfactory, I think. So talk to me about Franco, Dave. I just, all I can think of with the third film is Green Goblin but just became Goblin Boy, didn't they? You know, Surfer Goblin Boy. Mm. It was just absolutely horrendous. And like you said, I remember watching that film for the first time in that final battle scene where he turns <laughs> face, as it were, and they're both riding on the on the surfboard yeah. fighting. This I just remember even thinking then, this is a bit ridiculous. Like this doesn't seem to fit at all. I remember. I don't, I don't know why, but I remember thinking in the film they always cut back to the news reporter talking about what's happening, and it was a British news reporter on an American mm. TV show, and even that, for some reason, peeved me off, thinking, why have you got a British news reporter on an American news channel? It doesn't make sense. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 there are elements in that in that third film between Peter and, and Harry where they're almost... There's a bit of a cat-and-mouse game between them in the last near last act, which I think is quite good. Which, like you said... I think the issue with Harry's again, it just felt a bit stuffed. Although I will say that the near the end of the second film, when it turned, when he finds the secret room, I remember being quite surprised that not almost not expecting it at all. I think it was one of those first like that would have been actually a post credit scene now. Yeah, yeah. that was brought yeah. out. And it was a very interesting like twist that you weren't expecting at all. Uh, but yeah, look again, it's too many cooks. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Stu, talk to me about your thoughts on, on uh, James Franco across the three films. <laughs> I was just thinking then when, when Dave said about on the surfboard, I was thinking, it, well, it, was the end of this film worse than the start of Die Another Day, where you got Bond, <laughs> CG Bond on a CG wave surfing? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, that, was, that was amazingly five years before this. So, <laughs> I mean, why would you copy that? But... <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I like James Franco, and yeah, I think I think he's got something about him. And obviously, I hate not his brother. I hate Dave Franco. I really cannot stand yeah, him. Is there a reason why, though, Andy? I mean, there's a couple of reasons. I'll be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he I ruined all, Scrubs, yeah, and I think we all yeah. hate him for that reason. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Sorry, Stu. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, it, it's like a theme of this, ain't it? That it, it's. It was a missed opportunity, and that this film should have been about him. That's what it should have been. Mm. And if it was, then it would have been perfect. But yeah. it wasn't. It was like again going back to the them Batman films in Batman Forever, where you got Riddler and Two Face. Why? You should have one of them. I know you're going bigger and better and having more and more, but it doesn't work. 
And mm. every, like we said about Venom, it, it was just subdued and it, it, it was watered down, <laughs> surfing again, um, <laughs> compared to what it should have been. And that's kind of what this was as well, because like Dave said, when you had that reveal and it, it's a kind of mini cliffhanger for the third one that we never got the payoff of mm. because it was it was so overshadowed with everything, all the other madness going on, um, it, which was a shame because that was a kind of semi-believable. That, I mean, we could do a poll about this. I mean, them three or the Harry Potter three, which is best. Obviously, these three. Yeah. But... And it is that kind of vibe. There's there's the three of them together, and for a long period of time, and it made sense that it was going to be that way. And her being a, a mega bitch and choosing him just to wind him up, kind of thing, as mentioned. Yeah, I just it was just unfortunate that it never got done properly because it could have been great, and it wasn't. Mm, it could have been. Um, Spider Man Three got a box office total of nine hundred million dollars. It was a success, even if it wasn't a critical success. There was planned to be a fourth, which I think most people are aware of. But Raimi decided to step away because an acceptable script never came across his desk. Um, The plans were originally to bring back Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, J. uh, J. Jonah Jameson, have the Vulture, who would have been played by John Malkovich, Dylan Baker would have been returning as Kurt Connors, a.k.a. the Lizard, and a potential third villain in uh, Mysterio, played by Bruce Campbell, which actually I'd quite like to have seen Bruce mm. Campbell have a, a bigger role in one of these films. But I do like the fact that Sam Raimi decided not to just take the money and run, that he had an artistic vision. It couldn't be met, so he decided to walk away from it. Like I, I applaud someone who can do that. Um, obviously, following No Way Home, there was talk of another Maguire Spidey and another Garfield Spidey film as well. Personally, I've no real interest in seeing either of those. Like, we've got the Spider-Verse for an older, grouchier version of Peter now. I don't think we need Maguire. Like, what use is he when we do have um, Jake Johnson's version, I think, it's, uh, mm. the guy who does him. Like, the Garfield films were fucking dross, to be honest. Like, I don't want any more of those. So thankfully, the talk of both of those th- fourth and third films has gone away. I, I do hope as well that this break that uh, Tom Hard uh, Tom Holland is taking goes on a little bit longer than a year. I'll be quite happy to uh, never see him again. But that's a complete aside. Stu, would you have wanted to return to this 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 franchise or even the Garfield one after No Way Home, or are you done done with it now? Oh, the Garfield one, yeah, I was all for that because, again, like we said at the time, I'd never seen the second one up until when I when I watched okay. them all. Which so watching it with fresh eyes, it was kind of it was an enjoyable experience, but it, it was it was there, um, but that seemed more have more potential than again throwing three or four villains on screen again for another two and a bit hours and having the same problem that you would have had with the third one. I'm glad that didn't happen, but where do you go now after we've already seen him as a knackered old mess? Mm. You can't... There's no way of de-aging him and putting him back to the time because that wouldn't make any sense either. So I think it was just a, it was a nice thing at the time. Two years ago, I would have said yeah for both. Now, Garfield is great, so he could have pulled it off now, I think. Um, and that... Just leaving it at them too seems a bit... 
of a shame when it should have been finished properly. Again, the theme of this whole thing, it should have been done properly and it didn't get done. So uh, for both of them, Garfield, yes. I'd, obviously, I'd watch both if, if it happened. Um, but as a preference, I'd say Garfield because these ones, just leave them where they are. They're, they're a relic of the early 2000s and that's where they belong. Mm. Dave, would you have wanted more of either Maguire or Garfield? Or I think after No Way Home, I think I would have welcomed a fourth Raimi with Maguire, just because at the time, the idea of having a older Spider-Man trying to do the job, but also having all these elements would have been quite enjoyable to see. I think with Garfield, a lot of people felt that he deserved a third film to kind of remedy what had happened in the first two for him. But I think... No Way Home almost was his perfect bookend. Like mm-hmm. he almost felt like, as an actor, he got some closure from doing that because, again, he's he well, out of Spider Man. He stole the film in what twenty minutes, twenty five minutes mm. in, in what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, but I think, Ali, I agree with you in terms of I think we've got this version Spider Verse now of that kind of um, grumpy, sad Spider Man uh, that we got to see with Maguire. And I think with um, No Way Home, I think they kind of bookended Maguire's version as well. Mm. Um, with with him, the talk about where he was with Mary Jane, and that's really what people wanted to know <laughs> going to that film about where was, were those characters at the time. So, yeah, I think now, if they, like she said, if they did one of them, I'd still go see it. I think it'd be interested to see it, but I'm equally as happy now that we will potentially not see it again. Mm. I, I think with the No Way Home, it was more of a case of everyone was just riding a wave of nostalgia. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah, we want to see more Maguire, but when you sit down and think about it, you're like, do I really? And like, everyone loves Andrew Garfield because he's amazing and he deserves better than those two Spider-Man films. But ultimately, he can do a lot better outside of wearing a spider suit. So, mm. yeah, not not for me. Um, anyway, the last of the big three of the series, Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire. What are your thoughts on his interpretation of the character, Stu? <laughs> um, it, we, see, we, it's it's now trying to take these three and not <laughs> the No Way Home stuff away, <laughs> which is kind of difficult now because although in No Way Home he was better than the, <laughs> these three films. Um, but again, he was... <laughs> He was fine because he was unknown, and it worked mm. perfectly for that reason. I don't think watching him again. I don't think he was very good, really. Um, he's he not probably... that charismatic, is he? In these no. films, like he's quite—I mean, he's every man, which is fine, and it sort of works. But at the same time, you're not like drawn to him as a character, are you? No, and I think out of out of all of them, he's probably the weakest. Out of the people on screen, which is mad when he's supposed to be the star. Um, performance, it's just he's fine. He's just fine. That's all. That's all he is, really. Um, but it, again, it doesn't really matter because it's it's more about the suit than anything else. I think he's like we've, we've is his Peter is his Peter Parker worse than the others? Yes. The Spider Man is thought he was quite good. Mm. Um, but that, that, that's about it. Uh, uh, but again, is that how much of that is down to him, and how much is down to the writing? Mm. I don't really know. Mm. But I just thought it—it it was a solid seven. 
if you if you're going to rank it, nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, yeah. Dave, what are your thoughts? I think if you were trying, I think they're all different pieces, aren't they? And I think mm. Tobey Maguire was more of a nerd compared to the ones. I think Andrew Garfield was a bit more of a cool nerd, if mm. that makes sense. Um, whereas Tom Holland again was just a bit more he had a bit more about him despite being a bit of a, a nerd he never felt like he was a loner with Peter Parker Tom Maguire Peter Parker very much felt like loner in the background but then when he becomes Spider-Man he's more at the forefront so there is a kind of I think I agree with you he, he kind of does better as Spider-Man than he does at Peter Parker but I think that's his characterization was probably the most lonely version of that character we've seen in anything yeah Really? That's a good point. Um, but yeah, well, they, I, you know, they I, even make. I enjoyed it. Sorry, no, I was going to say they even make that joke in Across the Spider Verse, don't they? Um, with his roommate saying to to, to Spidey, "I'm not going to be your guy in the chair," because they've all had like a sort of family around them, and it never felt like that with Tobey Maguire's version. It felt very much like he was one of his own. But yeah, so, that, yeah, that the. Uh... The daughter of his landlord. That was his. Uh, he's kind of <laughs> in in that shitty bed sit that he was in. That was his. Yeah. Um, that was his in the chair moment. But yeah, and I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, Dave's right. He's, he was just a loner. Mm, it's a bit weird. I, I'm amazed they never had a sex scene between like the landlord's daughter and Peter Parker because like, they were clearly fucking, weren't they? There was something yeah. going on there. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he definitely thought about it at the very least. Oh god, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> um, so before we move on to the legacy of Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, quick question for the both of you. Rank the spider suits. Stu, one, two, three, like do, do the main Peter Parker from the live action versions. Which one's best, which one's worst? Ooh, worst is the Tom Holland one. Silly little thing, pointless. Yep. Um, I mean, the best one is the game one with the white spider, but obviously we can't count that. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the these this trilogy suit is the best one, and this is the one that I played within the game the whole time. As soon as I unlocked it, same, same. I, I completely agree. That's my one, two, three. Is yeah, Maguire, Garfield, Holland. Dave, is, are you going to make it a clean sweep on this? I think so, yeah. I think Garfield is the best. I also think that if you look at pictures, the fir- Garfield's first suit is different to his second suit. It's like mm. in the second suit they've gone, let's just make it Tobey Maguire's again and no more will notice. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, moving on. So um, like, I think that when you look at the Sam Raimi Spider-Man series... Like compare it to something like X Men, which were three films which were released. Everyone had like a film pretty much a year prior to the Spider. I think that time has been a lot kinder to Spider Man than it has been to those X Men films. And those X Men films, they followed a similar pattern to Spider Man. Like the first was liked, the second was loved, and the third was not. And when you look now, I think there aren't many people who will speak positively about any of that original trilogy of X-Men. Whereas even now, like I've probably seen Spider-Man 3 more than any other Spider-Man film. Even though it's kind of hated, I do have a soft spot because it's so bad. Um, Dave, talk to me about the legacy of this movie. I think it, it was probably the start of 
the scale of which superhero films could be going forward and this idea like you mentioned about the casting about casting unknown young actors with a kind of more of a lead villain that you know um i think again if you go back if you ask people of our age to go back and name the all-time superhero films they're probably still going to include the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films in there just because of it's a, maybe again it's a generational thing maybe that's why No Way Home like you said was a bit of a nostalgia trip and worked in some regards because because mm. of that so but yeah I think I think it's definitely going to be I think, I think most of it has stood the test of time like you say number three really hasn't for different reasons but it's still a film or films that you could still go back and watch and not feel like they've aged badly mm. Stu is this series of films what ultimately led to the MCU? Is this the, you know, the MCU in the starting blocks, pretty much? Well, in canon, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it, it has to be. I mean, like, like you did, you said at the start that Batman and Robin didn't kill it, but it did change things. And this was like an, it wasn't an homage, but it was like, oh well, this is what we should have done all along. And obviously you can't blame them. Obviously, the um, your good mate Tim Burton and his first two Batman films are great. They just are. But it went completely in a different direction and ended up at that monstrosity, which, where do you go from there? You go dark and realistic, like we said, Underworld, and then this comes out, and it's got a bit of both, and it shows that. And over the three films, it gets slightly darker, but it's still, like we men- I mentioned earlier about... <laughs> About goth Spider Man, where he's flicking his hair like the South Park goths, um, and the struck down the street, that kind of thing, where you've got the early hints of the MCU humor stuff that carries on throughout the whole 32 films later on. Um, but yeah, and there was a, an interesting point as well that I hadn't noticed from when they, they did the review of the first one on the uh, on Knockback podcast, mm. where because they're both from Long Island. So the amount of, I said about the edits for 9-11, it's very much a, well, fuck you, this is Americana. And mm. there's so many references to New Yorkers helping each other and the flag and everything, and obviously landing on the flag at the end of the film as well. Um, you think, yeah, okay, it's it's almost like a, an America propaganda film, as well as anything yeah, else. It and is. I'd, it is. I'd never considered that before listening to that. Um, but yeah, it, it was... <laughs> It was the catalyst for what was to come, and obviously, when when you end up as Eternals, what is this? Is this a cross to bear? <laughs> but no, it's. I think its legacy is way more than them X Men films because, like you said, they. If this was a, if this was just one and two, it'd be perfect. It, it, it'd be beloved. Three ruined it. Last Stand ruined X Men. Blade Three Trinity ruined Blade. <laughs> it's uh, the curse of the third film, and, and well, you could even say Dark Knight Rises as well. Point proven. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's, its legacy is it, it heralded superhero films properly that mm. are not necessarily comic book accurate because their films are not comic books, but more faithful to the vibe of comic book film comic books than what we had before. Mm. Yeah, I think you've put it very well there. Uh, so following Sam Raimi, we had like 
the Andrew Garfield Drek. We had the amateurish shit from John Watson, Tom Holland, mm. and the absolute insane Sony verse, I suppose we call it, with Venom and Jared Leto's character who's name escapes me. Like, no one gives a shit about that. It's awful. Like, they were throwing so much shit against the wall to see what sticks. And even now, there's talk of still doing more films in that world when the reviews have been bad and the money hasn't really been coming through the doors for it. So I don't know why they don't just give up the ghost and concentrate on the one great thing they still have, which is the Spider-Verse. So the second half of this podcast, let's talk about Across the Spider-Verse. We'll keep it spoiler-free for the most part. If we've got a spoiler, we will say, and we'll put a time code in the, um, the blurb for the podcast so you can see it anyway. I'm not coming to you first, you, because you're going to piss me off. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Dave. Oh, I'm interested now. How good was Across the Spider-Verse, Dave? Oh, yeah. It was great. I think I, I messaged you, denying the week, about it, saying, you know, by the end, you just feel like a, uh, a part one film. I think it's the combination. I think it keeps the humour and the quick wit of the first film. The animation styles styles are incredible. To the point where I feel like I need to watch it again to appreciate it more because I think those films are so witty and sharp and fast-paced. You probably don't appreciate all the minor things that go into it when you watch it the first time, especially some of like the fight scenes or the battle scenes. Um, but I think I said to you, the thing that I thought the film did really well overall was the emotion and the morals of the story. Mm. The depth of it, it wasn't just here's some fun quick animation of different styles, look how amazing it is. It was what was going about the family dynamics, the the dilemmas that Miles Morales was having to go through, the other characters were having to go through that they knew about, which is a bit spoiler, which I'll try to be as vague as possible. But I think yeah. the combination of all three really worked. And like you said, Andy, I think when word of mouth has gone out about this film and when Beyond the Spider-Verse, hopefully comes out next year, uh, then um, I think the hype is going to be... It won't be Infinity Endgame level, but I think it will be crouching up to that level. Mm, I agree. I mean, it's the highest-rated comic book movie on IMDb. Mm. It was sat on a 9.2, I think it was, when I looked uh, yesterday. Like, it's like properly, properly great. Um it's not a spoiler to say that it doesn't end cleanly. It very much sets up the next film because obviously it's a two-part film. That was always how it was intended, you know, since day dot. Um, I thought that would turn a lot of people off, to be honest. I thought having a to-be-continued ending would see people not love it. But in actuality, it seems to have done the exact opposite, that people absolutely adore it for everything that it is. And they seem to have this real fervent excitement for the next film. I mean, I took a a video of my For You page on TikTok and it was literally out of 10 videos or so, about eight of them were all people talking about Spider-Verse. People have properly taken this film to heart. And as you say, it's because there are so many different levels to it, whether it's the colour schemes that you have for each individual character, everything from Miles is sort of greens and purples and everything for um, 
spider woman or spider gwen however you want to refer to her everything is the trans flag colors if you notice they're all pinks and pastel blue and white and then hobie is done uh, in three different versions mm. in it's absolutely like it's next level genius level thinking that has gone into the production of an animated movie and the fact that it's an animated movie that people are going to go with their kids and everything i don't really think it's a kid's film there's so much depth to this movie that i imagine that young people like properly young people could get easily quite lost in this film the depth to it is just incredible absolutely just and it was just beautiful, just like the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen on screen. I've never seen animation like it before. Even compared to the first film, this steps it up, and it's incredible. Stu? I'm not going to disagree with anything you've said <laughs> at all. It's The depth thing is, is right, because I was I didn't expect that this film to be what it was. Um yeah, the first one, I love the first one. I've seen it six times now. Um, masterpiece, always will be. Were you, the issue is that you said, is this the best film ever? And I, I said, no, that is literally all I said. <laughs> but it is the best film ever. It's incredible. And I think it's probably, when I thought about it, I thought, I know that I, I have these, this character of being the odd one out all the time. <laughs> I'm not saying that this film is bad in the slightest. I'm just saying that I, the first one was such a shock. It came out of nowhere. It, it's always going to have that that place that yeah, mm-hmm. we've never seen anything like that before. And that how he was in a different frame set to the rest of the the backgrounds and everything else that had never been done before, or if it had, not to that effect. That's what I was saying. That for the first one was groundbreaking. This. Yeah. Is the same, but more. And like you said, like, like the bits with the bits with Gwen later on, where it's almost like um, it's a, the pastel. It's like a it's like a pastel painting. It's a wash. Mm. Like all the backgrounds mm-hmm. blur into a wash, and you, you think, well, <laughs> how how is it how is it done? Mm. And the and the Hobie stuff. I don't. I know I'm not very clever with these things, but I don't know how they've how so many different things are on screen at the same time, and it working like it does. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I know we've, we've, this stuff has been happening since fucking Mary Poppins, <laughs> nearly hundred years ago, or whatever. <laughs> but still, you're having six, maybe seven different animation styles all on screen at, at once at the same time. No breaks. No. Thing, nothing falling it's apart. Seamless, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's seamless. You can see it's serious, serious money's been put into this, and, and mm. you can it tells, it shows because it it doesn't look like anything else because I don't think it's been possible before. Then I, mm. I, I mean, the the making, watching the making of this is going to be as interesting mm. as watching the film itself for me because it's it's a feast for the eyes, and it was. A, scarily emotional film and like you said about kids Ethan was yeah he's 12 he was the only kid in the whole cinema mm. when we went and it went on Meerkat Tuesday as well so you'd think okay there's going to be loads of people in there which there was um, but I said as per usual super screen has to be done keep the knobheads out 
But there were no kids in there. And that explains why, because it was so deep and it was so adult in parts. And this was, I think, one of the few times where my no, no trailer, no interest of any any kind backfired because I didn't know it was two parts. <laughs> um, and so he got to it, and I thought, oh, well, this is. It feels it feels like it's been on for a while. Surely the copy, there's only going to be a bit half hour left, and then obviously to be continued comes up, and I just giggled to myself. Oh, yeah, this is like twice in the space of three weeks with Fast X as well. <laughs> this mm-hmm. has happened to me. <laughs> but it's a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece, and I'm not begrudging. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that I don't. I prefer. I will always like that first one better because we'd never seen anything like it before then. And mm-hmm. they're both tens. I mean, I said that eight and it kind of wind up the other day, but they're both <laughs> tens. They just are for different yeah. reasons. This is so groundbreaking. And we sk- <laughs> it's hard to t- kind of say anything without spoiling anything eight because <laughs> I don't know how much was in the trailer because I don't obviously don't care of watching them things, but it was. There were surprises in it, which I didn't expect, mm. especially knowing what we did, we went from from the first. I was generally shocked, and I laughed, and obviously, I mean, for me, the was it Manhattan section yeah. was the, oh was yeah, the, yeah 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 that whole Mumbai Manhattan yeah yeah that was genius that mm. was fun. I mean obviously we're not laughing at Indian people before people start. Um, <laughs> it was just generally hilarious, and I didn't see that part coming. But yeah, it just it was a great, great film. It's not gonna be in my top five. It's just unfortunate because there's there's other things in there, like the first one. But I'm not saying that it's a bad film in the slightest. Mm. See, I was thinking about that because it's been three years since we did our top five comic book films. And I remember at the time that um I said that the first Spider-Verse film probably number six for me. Like it, it just misses out. I think this would probably be in my top five now. And I also think that um, Guardians 3 would probably replace the original Guardians film as well. I think I think this year we've been spoiled with two very, very good comic book movies. Um, like both of them are as close as damn it to, to perfection when it comes to the genre. But yeah, I, I absolutely adored this movie. I thought it was incredible. And I remember at the time when I saw... Um, everything everywhere all at once I remember saying, mm. I think I said on the podcast it's the kind of film I really want to watch in slow motion, the scenes where you see her flitting between mm. the different realities yeah. and I kind of want to do that with this film as well but I'd need to do it for the entire 2 hour 20 minute runtime because there is so much going on in every single scene, it's the most incredible looking thing of all time I think and I also like there's a couple of references to everything everywhere all at once because obviously it deals with a very similar sort of topic, doesn't it, of multiversal travel. So you've got the bit where he throws a bagel and apparently there's a background in one of the scenes and it's, um, oh, I can't remember the name of this bagel shop, but it's something like it's almost everywhere, everything everywhere all at once, but it's anywhere, always, all at the same time. Something like that is the name of this bagel shop. So I love the fact that they recognise the similarities between that and another masterpiece and have run with it. I think that's brilliant. So I really can't wait to see this again, probably at home when I can have a look at it in slow motion and take time with it. Because I remember at the time I was just, 
like I just had this massive fuck off grin on my face through the whole film. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I felt like a child watching a movie again, which was like there aren't many films that can do that, and it was just wonderful. So yeah, twenty twenty fourth of March next year is it, Dave? I think is the next part. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think there's been a couple of murmurs on the old Twitter about. Is it going to make that day? The one thing that scared me a bit was apparently Hayley Steinfeld to come out and said she hasn't even recorded any of her audio for the film yet. Oh, that's worrying. Yeah, which surprises me, whether they're just like, oh, yeah, we just need you to be in here for a month and we'll get it all done. But, yeah, I think it can't get delayed. I think, like like we both said, there's going to be so much hype, anticipation when that trailer comes out Mm. that this cannot get delayed. So, fingers crossed. Mm. I saw today, Stu, apparently um, Shamik, Shamik Moore, is it, I believe, the guy who plays Miles Morales, he said that he's going to try and drop some weight because he'd quite like to play the live-action version of Miles Morales. Unfortunately, like Miles is supposed to be 15 years old, 14, 15. I think he's like 28, so I don't know if that one would quite work personally. But th- then again, like... Garfield was nearly thirty when he was Parker. Yeah, but this so, is who knows. This is like this is like the Moana thing again. Eh? This mm. just this just doesn't make any sense, unfortunately. Mm. Unless they, uh, unless they're gonna, I don't know, Chris Evans Captain America mini miniaturizing, but that would just be silly, wouldn't he? You know, just get <laughs> just get an actual child or someone yeah. like not eighteen, nineteen to do it. Yeah, Part of me thinks, don't do it. Just leave Miles yeah. on the Spider Verse and just keep him there. Well, we've got two anyway. We've got the we got the insom. Uh, it's not a spoiler because it's been all over Twitter anyway. The how the, the, it, he was actually called Insomniac Spider Man from the game. Mm. Yeah. In in the little text box, I thought that was genius. Mm. I thought, okay, I well, like the game. That's canon. Okay, so now we've got we've got an actual game called Miles Morales. We don't need a film called Miles Morales. Leave it alone. See, so yeah, across the vice of Spider Verse, I took my nephew to see it, and we were talking about the end whether you might see Miles Morales transition to live action in the film because of the whole MCU multiverse mm. thing, um, and who would play the live action version. He mentioned, is it Caleb McLaughlin in Stranger Things? Yeah, okay, the yeah, ideal yeah. casting in that in that regard. So that uh, in me, in my head, I was like, yeah, that kind of makes perfect sense because he would still look the age of that character. If he looks a bit older, he'll still look like mm. how he look would probably look in live action in the film. So yeah, I think you're going to get a live action Miles Morales, unfortunately, in the sense of like you say, Andy, it's perfect what we've seen in Spider Verse. But I think there's been yeah. so much of a clamour now for a live action version then. It's going to happen. Just hopefully how it's done and whether it's a, a separate project or whether it's part of the MCU and how then that's done is, a, is another thing, really. Mm. So I, I remember reading at the time when Sony took out the, the rights to do Spider-Man, they were told specifically they couldn't do anything that wasn't white, straight version of Spider-Man. Uh, not, not even particularly Peter Parker. It had to be Spider-Man had to be white and he had to be straight. They couldn't sort of mess with the whatever the contract was on it. Um, so I think if he does go forward, there's every chance that he probably will be under the Marvel banner rather than the Sony one. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because obviously 
Spider versus Sony, and it's mm. fantastic. So, yeah, interesting. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see. And you are right; I think people will be calling for it, and sooner or later, we'll, we'll get it, regardless. I think. Right, Jen. So I've got a quiz. Uh, it's about the Avengers. So I, I, I wouldn't say either of you got an advantage here. So let's see how this one goes. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Dave, I'll come to you first. What cartoon inspired nickname did Tony Stark use for Thanos? Uh, sorry, Thanos's henchman, the Ebony Moor. What is in? Is this reference in the film? Is that what? Yeah, it's it's one of the later ones. He called he called one of them a, a something cartoon inspired nickname. Man, that's deep. It's well, a very I, deep. I, I, I can I can remember the scene and him saying something, but what he said, I have no idea. So I'm gonna have to pass unfortunately on that. Okay, Stu, to steal one. No. <laughs> I've got. I could even watch the scene in my head and, and not know he. He called him Squidward. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah, even know what that is. It's from SpongeBob. That'll be why, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was. I was thinking like Thundercats or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. No, Stu. Your question. They don't mention it in the films except for in the credits. But what is Wanda Maximoff's superhero name? The Scarlet Witch. It's the Scarlet Witch. Apparently that's like the second most difficult question in this quiz. What's that? Oh, is it like slash Scarlet Witch on in the credits? It must be. I like I don't know, but yeah, apparently that's the only time they mention it, so they never mention her as yeah. the Scarlet Witch in the films. Uh, right, Dave, coming back to you. Name the three actors who have played Hulk on screen in the 21st century. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, Eric Banner, Mark Ruffalo, and oh, Ed Norton. <laughs> Boom. Yay. One or. <laughs> Stu, in Captain America, the first Avenger, what is the name of the science division of the Nazi Germany military? Oh, fuck you. Um, it's it's even written it's written everywhere as well. eh? yeah, like you can't escape it. So it's not the shield; it's the other one. <laughs> Obviously, um, you'll, kick, you'll kick yourself if you don't. I, get know, it. I know I have um, Hydra. Oh, Hydra! Well yeah. then, two one shoot question at one point thinking. It is Hydra, isn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, because <laughs> no, yeah, I was thinking then the um, the bit where you get a spoiler for for that film where, where before the window gets blown out and it, it's on all the machines in there. I was thinking that as well at first. I thought, no, mm. there's nothing. There's nothing there. It's just <laughs> the little the um, the the head. Right, Dave. As what do the Avengers refer to Natasha's ability to calm the Hulk? Oh, uh, lullaby. Lullaby. Well, I don't think I'd have got that. Like, I know she sings to him, but I don't remember them actually referring to it as a lullaby. Stu, what name... Sorry, what is the real name of the character who becomes Ant-Man? Uh, 
Scott Lang. Scott Lang. Well done, Stu. It's three two. This is the highest scoring quiz we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, Anthony Mackie plays which superhero? The Falcon. The Falcon. Well done. These questions are getting infinitely easier. Stu, <laughs> who plays Iron Man's love interest? The actor, not the, the name of the character. Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. Dave, who wrote and directed Avengers Assemble? Oh, uh, Joss Whedon. It was Joss Whedon. Stu, you need this to win. It's for all at the moment. Stress. <laughs> what is the name of Thor's brother played on screen by Tom Hiddleston? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see, um, there was a thing yesterday on Twitter that, because of being Pride Month or whatever, and there was a load of, there was a montage of characters. Um, it was it must have been Disney, mm. and that Loki was there. And there was loads of people in the comments saying, Loki's gay. And, there was, mm. and that's what I put on there. Certain people in, in the, the these replies clearly haven't watched the Loki show. Yeah. And there was so many in there. It's like over and over and over again, like the main comment in this thread. It's, like, it's mental. Mm. It, it is ridiculous how many people claim to like know everything about it, but then clearly don't watch half of it. Right, so it's quite unfortunate, really, Dave, because the only question that we got wrong was the one about Ebony Moore and Squidward. <laughs> Which, I mean, in fairness, that's quite a deep cut. The rest of that quiz yeah. was really quite straightforward, unfortunately. <laughs> So there'll be a few more tricky ones because some of the other questions are ridiculous in this quiz book. And I've just noticed on the page opposite is oh, it's backwards on the uh, the screen to the gents. Nicholas oh, Cage no. movies is the, uh, the 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 page opposite. We won't we, get to that um, one for a while. Are we going to defend himself for his heel turn on um, Thor: Love and Thunder? Um, because I was I was not the only one who loved that film when it came out, David. You can't you can't side with him now after all this time. What did I say originally? Because I I watched it for the first time since the cinema this uh, last week. You didn't I, hate it at first. Yeah, you. you I were, think I was I, I was mixed on it. I think. And I yeah, watched it again. You defended I it, again. it slightly. Yeah, slightly. But there were. I think I did say there was a lot of issues. I watched it. Last week, for the first time since watching it again, and it was probably the same. Like there are elements of it which I still think is fine, but there's a lot of it that's wrong. I think the issue with Love and Thunder is they've gone with Ragnarok. They've gone right. This is really worked why because everyone likes Tyker's humor and style. They like the characterization. They like the uh, the aesthetic. So they've gone. Let's just do that all over again, but go t- ten times more. And by doing that, they've almost ruined the film. And I think I dig up on Twitter that I do. Do you see Chris Hemsworth's comments of what his kids' friends yeah. said about it? The eight-year-olds, and yeah. And like that, what they said was absolutely perfect <laughs> for that film, that review of that film. And you can tell he's very much like I think he's already said in the interview once. If I ever do it again, it needs to be completely different. And that's yeah, that's what needs to happen. He he said that they had a lot of fun making it. I think oftentimes when the actors are having too much fun, mm. the audience can see that and it just it looks like people pissing around rather than doing their job. Yeah. 
I maintain it's still the worst film in the MCU. It's fucking <laughs> dreadful. I think, look, I think it is down there, definitely. It's mm. definitely down there. Uh, I don't think it's the worst film, but it is down there. I think the only reason I think it's the worst is by the time I got round to Ant-Man Quantumania, mm. I, I'd completely checked out. Like, it could be the worst. I think that's the worst rated. But I didn't care enough to, like, really hate it. It was just a terrible, terrible film. Yeah, I think I think I need to watch Ant-Man again, Quantumania, but I think that is probably worse than Love and Thunder. Yeah, I easily. Think, yeah. I think potentially it is, but like, like I say... I was just at this point, I was just get me to Guardians and then I can sign out and I'm, I'm happy. And, and I am. I'm, I'm so much happier now that Guardians is done. Yeah, yeah but now you're, not, you, now you're not signed out though. Now you committed again. No, no. <laughs> I'm, done. I'm, I'm done with it. Like, I've got nothing. I, mean, I only found out today that Secret Invasion apparently is starting imminently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. I'm sure people will enjoy that. I'm sure it'll be the best one since the last one, like every fucking thing is. <laughs> well, nothing's Terrible. been a bit Hawkeye so far for them. That was great. I don't think... Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think anything has. Mm. Like, I mean, genuinely, I might watch the Daredevil series because Daredevil's a character I like and I'm just kind of hoping it's not going to be tied into the rest of it because I'm not interested in the rest of it. Going forward, I might just pick and choose the films I want to see rather than watch everything. You won't, though. <laughs> I, I think I'll you're, li- think you're lying to yourself. No. I, I don't even know what else is, is due out. I know we've got Blade coming up in the future, but They're that keeps pushed back. Yeah. That, yeah, that we're never going to get that. But what else is there actually due out in the MCU anymore? I'm that checked out of it. Um, so, obviously, you've got Secret Invasion. I think you've got... Uh, Loki, the next series of Loki, I think, is out this year in October. You've got Marvels, Marvels, the Marvels film later on in the year, which looks looks all right actually from the trailer. I think even Andy, you said you saw yes, the trailer, and thought yes. that looked all right. And then going forward, I don't really know. I think people are just waiting for them to officially announce the Fantastic Forecasting as well. If it is supposed to be what Adam Driver, Margot Robbie, Paul, mm. Paul, Paul, is it Paul Mescal? Is, is yes. That how you say it? You yeah. want a great casting, and then David Diggs is um thing. I think it's a great mm. if it's true. That's a great casting, um. But let's see. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we're done for this week. Next week we'll be discussing shock horror into the Spider Verse. Nick Cage, where he plays the Spider Man Noir. Um, like brilliant. But yeah, we'll get to it next week anyway. Um, Stu, you looked the other day. It's not available on Netflix, is it? No, it's not available anywhere. Which I thought was really odd because it seemed to have been on Netflix for ages. So it must have fairly recently gone off. Um, Justwatch.com. Check to see where it's streaming near you. If you haven't seen it already, or if you haven't seen it already, what are you doing with your life? Because (laughs) it's wonderful. Uh, please make sure you've got us on Twitter at CageFightingPod and any emails to CageFightingPod at gmail.com. Please make sure you subscribe on whatever podcatcher that you listen to us on so that you don't miss an episode. Uh, so thank you for joining us this week. We truly appreciate your time. Dave, thanks a lot for stepping in and discussing Spidey. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. Lovely. Uh Would you like to say goodbye to the people? Goodbye to the people. (laughs) Stu, would you like to say goodbye? 
Sayonara. Ciao. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. We'll be right back.